you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. Hebrews chapter number 4. The title of our message this morning will be Rest for the Weary. Rest for the Weary. You may have heard that old saying, at one point in your life, there is no rest for the weary. Have you heard that one before? Another close variation is also, there is no rest for the wicked. Both are true statements for sure, right? We know that there's often no rest for the weary. Life's demands and responsibilities, they don't unfortunately stop or slow down just because we're tired or discouraged. In fact, the demands of life often grow greater during those times of weariness. For the wicked, those persisting in willful disobedience and wrongdoing often experience a weariness under the weight of sin and the tangled web of deceit. Have you ever been there before? No rest for the weary. Rest in our Western culture, it's almost like sand slipping between our fingers. We're enamored with the idea of rest, grasping for it, looking for it often, but rarely do we achieve it. Never before in the history of mankind have we ever been busier, and as such, America We as individuals, we long for rest. (laughs) We long for that that next spa day, that next tea time. The companies that we work for, they build in mental health days as part of our benefits package in an effort to cause us to slow down and, and rest. A spa day, although great and wonderful. A tea time, although incredible. A mental health day, whatever that may be, are certainly beneficial in their own right, but they cannot accomplish or achieve or offer true rest for our soul. If there's a takeaway at all from chapter 3 as... Pastor Dave so uh, carefully navigated through, and and as we look forward and tee up chapter 4 here, if there's one takeaway, can we not see that rest is not something that we can manufacture on our own, but rather it is a gift. It is a promise fulfilled to whom? Those who believe. So what about you today? Do you long for rest? Are you weary from the demands of this world, the rat race of life? Do you feel like you're always burning it on both ends, so to speak? Not sure how you're even going to wake up in the morning? Are you discouraged? Maybe even depressed? Are you battling with feelings of inadequacy? Failure? Depression? Again? 
These things seem crushing at times. Do you feel the weight of them in your own life? This morning, I, I want us to be encouraged as we once again look at this warning to those that desire rest. I want us to be encouraged because there is hope this morning for the weary saint. Although the old saying says there is no rest for the weary, God's word would say otherwise. You remember Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You remember his words in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 11. He says in verse 28, Jesus Christ says, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I, Jesus Christ, I will give you rest. He goes on in verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Rest this morning is our topic at hand here in chapter number four. We, we won't find it in religion. We won't find it in this world. We won't find it in works or the spa or an incredible golf course. But rather this morning as we begin to unpack Hebrews chapter number four, we will see that rest in this life and the one to come can only be secured through a relationship. A relationship with Jesus Christ. And that, friends, truly is a blessed assurance. Just as we just sang this morning. So the big idea of our text this morning is, is this. I don't have it up on the screen, so I'm going to say it slowly and a couple times so you can jot it down. The big idea is this. God's redemptive plan of salvation parentheses, eternal rest, has always been secured by the gift of faith. Thus, we should with fear and by God's grace strive to enter that rest. One more time for our faithful note takers. God's redemptive plan of salvation, eternal rest, has always been secured by the gift of faith. Thus, we should with fear and by God's grace strive to enter that rest. So by way of introduction, in Hebrews chapter number 4, verses 1 through 11, we have two key verbs. And these two verbs will bookend this final exposition that the author gives of Psalm chapter or Psalm 95, excuse me. As he continues to draw our attention to God's rest and entering into it. Now these these two verbs are in a an interesting mood by way of how verbs are formed. These two verbs are in the hortatory subjunctive mood. And I'm going to drop some academic Uh, information on you right now. You might say, what in the world is a hortatory subjunctive mood? Well, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked. It simply means this. 
These verbs are used in the present tense to express an exhortation or command. They're in the, the present tense. They're right here in the now, and they are, they, are, they, are, they are expressing an exhortation or a command. So we see the first verb in verse number one. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, here's the verb, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Let us fear. Then the section closes out in verse number 11 with the second verb that will bookend these final thoughts on Psalm 95. The second verb is this, let us therefore strive. So we are exhorted and commanded to both fear and to strive in relation to entering God's rest this morning. So in between these two verbs, we we observe the author's continued thoughts and instruction again on entering God's rest. And so for, for fear of overstaying our welcome, so to speak, on this topic of rest, I was a majority of chapter three was on this, this same topic. I'm not going to dive into Psalm 95. Pastor Dave did a great job of unpacking that. So I'm hopeful that we can carry what we've learned, the context that's already been preached and taught this morning into our message this morning, okay? So we have Psalm 95 in mind. We have entering God's rest. We have that rebellious generation that the Lord swore in his wrath would not enter his rest because of a lack of faith and disobedience to God's word and God's plan. And as a result, they perished in the wilderness. If you remember with me back to chapter 3, verse number 7, Pastor Day pointed out that the author is encouraging his readers right there from Psalm 95. It says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, that urgency, that intentionality for us to consider our life, our heart, is it hardened? Is it evil? Is it wandering? Do you remember the last few weeks as Pastor Dave took us through that? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Pastor Dave also reminded us that this quotation from Psalm 95 ended with verse 11 with this divine oath that the Lord established based on the disobedience and unbelief of this generation as I swore Chapter 3, verse 11. Swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So as we move on to chapter 4, verse number 1, we carry this context in and it says this, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands. The author, once again, this preacher, urgently drawing their attention to the promise of rest. So this morning, we're going to look at just three simple truths concerning this promise of rest. The first truth of this, we'll look at the promise of rest explained. We see that in verses 1 through 3. Verses 1 through 3 of chapter 4, they're somewhat redundant. Right? They sound very, very familiar to the context of chapter number 3 as he states and summarizes this rebellious generation from the Exodus who have, who have failed in their faith towards God's plan. Thus, this divine oath of verse 11. 
chapter number three. What response should these realities stir up in the mind and hearts of his readers? Would it not be that of fear? On the heels of chapter 3, on the, on the heels of understanding the incredible and very severe consequences of unbelief of these wandering hearts of this rebellious generation, should there not be a sober reality of let us therefore fear? Lest any of you and me should seem to have failed to reach it. sober reality to the beginning of chapter number four as we closed out chapter number three. Would not the readers be in a state of evaluating their own hearts? Should not we as hearers even today be doing the same evaluating the state of our own heart? Is my heart hardened? Is there an evil and unbelieving heart towards the will of the Lord in my life? Am I persisting in willful disobedience towards the Lord? Friends, I should think not one day, lest even one moment, that I will enter into God's rest if I can spend a lifetime persisting in willful sin. And so this is the reality of chapter number four as he kicks it off with this this verb. This command, this exhortation, as a result of what we have just unpacked in Psalm 95. Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, it still remains, let us therefore fear, lest we fail to reach it. Is my heart hardened? Is there an evil, unbelieving heart towards the will of the Lord? How can you answer that question this morning? Are you submitting your heart, your life, your will, your ways, your understanding to that of the perfect, sovereign will of the Lord? The word used here for the verb fear is phobeo. It carries with it the idea of severe distress caused by impending danger. Consequences for rebelling against God's will and ways and rejecting His plan of redemption are severe. Friends, we, we must not sugarcoat the reality of eternity apart from the grace of God. Just as the rebellious generation perished in a desert, in the wilderness. No fellowship with the Lord. So will we. In our day, in our generation, if we die without knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and personal Savior. Because it is Jesus that said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. If we are not in Christ, if we are not trusting in Christ, if we do not have faith, a believing heart towards the person and the work of Jesus, we will die. 
and spend an eternity in separation from God in a real place called hell. That is a sobering and fearful reality that should cause us to step back and think about our life, our relationship, our standing before a holy God this morning. Friends, I say those things not to manipulate or scare us into considering these eternal realities. This is Scripture. This is ultimately why the author of Hebrews is using this illustration to look back to that rebellious generation and to consider entering into God's rest. He's bridging the gap of time from then to His readers at that point, and then even us bridging the gap of time to us today for us to consider eternity. Am I in Christ? Do I have a believing heart or an unbelieving heart? These are the realities of Scripture. Carries with it again that understanding of distress. Impending consequences. Consequences for what? Rebelling against God's will and ways. Rejecting His plan of redemption. This generation is is missing out on the, the blessings and abundance of the promised land. And dying in the wilderness. That is severe, but... Even even as sobering as that is, the rebellious generation is but a foreshadow of the eternal consequences that the Lord warns us of if we are found to have a rebellious and unbelieving heart and as a result fail to reach this promised rest. There's two responses that this fear should stir up. And they could be understood in that lovely safety message from the flight crew before you take off. On a plane, have you flown recently? Do you remember this safety message? The safety message goes something like this. Should an emergency situation occur, you need to put your oxygen and your mask on first before attempting to help those around you. That was the best flight attendant voice that I could muster up. I'm sure that failed miserably. I'm in preaching mode, so I'm sure it didn't go well. Um, Do you understand? The oxygen mask, in the event of an emergency, What is the two responses that should be stirred up after considering the sobering realities of eternity and belief and faith in Jesus Christ? First, it should cause us to look inward. First, we put our own oxygen mask on. We consider our life before a holy God. Am I in the faith? Do I know the Lord and does the Lord know me? Secondly, the second response to this verb of fear, it should cause us to look out and to help those around us. Now that we have our oxygen mask on, we're we're called to do what? Help other passengers. Do you remember this in chapter number three? Take care, brothers. Lest there be in you an evil and unbelieving heart leading 
you to fall away from the living God, verse number 13, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, but exhort one another. Check yourself. Exhort others. These are the two responses that as we, 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 we come to grips with this sobering verb. Therefore, let us fear. Check yourself and exhort others. Friends, when was the last time you were engaged in that type of activity? This is why we believe in meaningful membership. We're going to read our church covenant before we partake of the Lord's Supper this morning. And part of that covenant is for us to consider just as Paul ex- exhorts us in uh, 1 Corinthians 11 in, in that passage of, uh, of, the, of the Lord's Supper, to do what? To consider one another. Consider the body. Check yourself and exhort others. Do you see somebody fading? Do you see somebody wandering? Do you see somebody falling away from the Lord? Pursue them. Love them. Reach them. Share with them the gospel. Speak the truth of the gospel into their life. It's not a pastor's job. It's not a deacon's job. Or maybe I should say it's not just a pastor's job and a deacon's job. It is all of ours. Collectively, as the body of Christ, we are our brother's keeper. This is... The imagery that, that the author of Hebrews has here in mind. That we wouldn't be engaged in one another's lives, exhorting one another to persevere in the faith. Check yourself, exhort others. This was the idea of Hebrews 3, verses 13. This is the same tone and demeanor. Of chapter 4, verse number 1, Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear. Why? Lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. 2 Corinthians 13, verse number 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. This is a biblical concept to check ourselves and to exhort others. Verse number two, the preacher of Hebrews points out three areas of commonality between the Israelites in the wilderness and the readers of Hebrews and even us today. Verse number two, for good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them. Why? Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. The three areas of commonality between the Israelites in the wilderness and His readers of Hebrews are this. They both received what? Good news. Right? The Israelites received good news. 
Not just the report back from Joshua and Caleb, all the way back at, at, at looking at the promised land, land of Canaan for the first time. But they've had good news by way of the covenant promises of the Lord. That God would redeem a remnant. He would be faithful to His people. He would not forsake them. He had brought them up out of the land of Egypt. The exodus happened. He was faithful to deliver them from the oppression of the Egyptians. They had good news that he provided everything that they needed to enter into that rest. Secondly, they both had Excuse me, verse number two. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them. They had both heard the good news, but there was a potential danger and warning that they would not have faith. It's not enough just to know and to hear. One must, by God's grace, express and place 100% complete confidence and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Nothing more, nothing less than Jesus Christ alone for salvation. There must be a gift of faith, an evidence, a fruit of salvation, an evidence, a fruit of a restored relationship. This is the work of the Lord. And so the warning here is that they lacked faith. They heard. They were there. They were with. (laughs) They were were with the Israelites. They were in the right place. They heard the right message. They heard the good news. But it did not benefit them. Why? Because they were not united by faith. The efficacy of that good news is achieved by faith. Faith applies the good news to our life. It is because of faith that we're ushered out of darkness into life. We're adopted out of uh, the, the bondage of sin and adopted into the family of God. We are now heirs, co heirs with Christ, ready to receive that inheritance of what? That rest. So the third commonality is that they both would have, and I did not write this correctly, I apologize. They both would have that rest available had they believed. Had they believed in Jesus Christ, they would have entered into that rest. Verse number three, for we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The promise of rest is explained very clearly in verse number two. Good news came to the Israelites through Joshua and Caleb. And they simply trusted the Lord. The nation of Israel did not. They doubted. They trusted in their own way, their own understanding. They did not trust the Lord, even on the hills of the Exodus. 
Even on the, the hills of a parted Red Sea, the nation of Israel doubted and they, they feared. They did not trust the Lord that He would deliver the promised land into their hands. What good news we have been given. I think of the communion time this morning. We have an opportunity to observe the Lord's table. We are reminded that there is a new covenant in His blood. Jesus' blood. This is good news. This is good news for us to hear. You're in the right place. You're hearing the right message that Jesus saved. The Gospel is good news. Friends, I wonder, does it benefit you through the gift of faith? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ this morning? This is not just good news. This is better news than what the Israelites had. And the best news is this, that Jesus has come. He has taken on flesh. He has shed His blood on the cross of Calvary. And on the third day, He rose up from the grave. The tomb is empty. He is risen. The work is done. Friends, faith continues even in our day. It continues to be the means which believers past, present, and future enter into God's rest. This is the promise of rest explained. Secondly, we're going to look at the promise of rest extended. The author of Hebrews uses three Old Testament examples that are all pointing to this reality that the the rest that the rebellious generation missed out on is still available. And it is extended to all those that have eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. And by God's grace, we would have faith. The first example is looking back to Genesis chapter number 2, verse number 2. And the author is establishing somewhat of a a theology of rest. By pointing back to to Genesis, the, the author demonstrates that God's rest preceded the Israelites' possession of the promised land. Thus, this rest cannot be confined to just Canaan and the promised land in this snapshot of time. It undoubtedly began ages earlier when God finished creating the heavens and the earth, and so He rested. And that rest has been available to every generation. But the assurance of that rest is only secured through the presence of faith in the life of a believer. The second example comes by way of yet another look back to Psalm number 95. The fact that the Holy Spirit of God inspired David to pen this psalm is a reminder that rest is extended again beyond the Israelites in the promised land. In addition, we are given this reminder that God's redemptive plan is looking forward to a better rest to come. Certainly the Israelites went into the promised land. And certainly the Holy Spirit inspired David to to pen Psalm 95. And that phrase today, if you will hear my voice, extended to his readers in his time, in his day. But yet it's a reminder that that same warning and that same call to express and receive faith in Jesus Christ is for us even today. And Psalm 95 
although describes this situation and this historical event of the exodus and that rebellious generation that perished in the desert, it is looking forward to a better rest to come, an eternal rest that was beyond the promised land, that was beyond physical achievement or physical award or rest that would be given by the abundance that would be found in the promised land. It would be looking forward to a better rest, a rest that was rooted in a relationship with Jesus Christ that would be experienced for all eternity. And the third example reminds us that rest achieved even through Joshua's initial victory was temporary. It ultimately gave way to a period of unrest through the judges that would come at some point. Then we have the the turmoil of of Saul's reign and all that that came with that, right? Do you remember these times in in history? Do you remember uh, the the Bible unfolding these realities that that the the peace and the pleasure and the abundance of the promised land would, would come with a challenge and war? Imperfect judges? All of these are looking forward to the rest of the Lord. This rest is extended beyond these Old Testament events that are called out here in Hebrews chapter number 4. This future rest far outweighs the, the temporal one. It is better. Why? Because it is heavenly. It is eternal. This heavenly hope offers perfect and unfading fellowship and relationship with the Lord. Friends, do you have fellowship and relationship with the Lord? Do you commune with the God who saved you? Are you experiencing rest in your life today, even in the midst of uncertain circumstances, difficult trials, difficulty, persecution, whatever it might be? The Lord even gives us this side of eternity, rest for our souls. Knowing the worst that can come, the taking of our life, but hastens us home. So then today, if you hear His voice, harden not your heart. This is the recalibrating reality of even chapter number four, the promise of rest explained, the promise of rest extended. Our final point this morning is the promise of rest executed. The promise of rest executed. God secured and completed rest on our behalf. Let's look at verse number nine. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Verse number nine, so then there remains a Sabbath. This is the third time in our passage, verses 1 through 11, 
that the author calls out that this rest remains. We see it translated as stands in verse number one. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, verse number six, since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And here in verse number nine, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Do you not see God's grace and his character of of, of patience and and long-suffering and making his rest still yet available in our day, in our time? That by grace, through faith, we could experience a restored relationship with the Lord. It's here that we also experience a unique shift in the text. Chapter number three and up to this point in in chapter number four, it's carried on this, this word of rest throughout. And looking back to Psalm 95 and even Genesis 2, there we, we've seen this, this word rest. And now we have this unique and special word that's introduced here. It's simply translated as a Sabbath rest. But this word is, is very unique in, in the Greek. In fact, it's the only time in the biblical Greek documents, whether it be the Septuagint or the Greek New Testament, that we find this word. Sabbatismos is the word. It it has actually a transliteration. It's derived from the verb that means to keep Sabbath or celebrate Sabbath. And trying to understand the importance of this unique word, one commentator notes this, that this new term adds a unique motif of this theme of rest as a cessation from labor and works and laying aside of labor and effort. On one's part. And it adds a new note of celebration of the freedom and joyful communion with God in His rest. So entering this rest marks an end of labor. This is the idea of the Sabbath, right? It's a day of rest, just as the Lord modeled in this creation account where He rested. And at this point, I'm not going to dive into the the splitting of hairs, but there's some unique translation uh, ideas or concepts on that Sabbath rest for the people of God, and specifically verse number 10, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. But at the end of the day, they're all both arriving at the same destination. So know this. That resting is 100% a work of the Lord. And so resting from our own striving or our own earning or our own labor of our own part, of our own doing, we can achieve no rest of eternal value for our own, on our own. This work is finished as we look forward to the Passion Week of Christ and Easter Sunday here just in a couple weeks. Are you thankful that that work is done? Are you thankful that Jesus cried out, it is finished on the cross? We don't have to work and labor for God's grace or earn His favor. We could never do it anyways. God has done and completed that work. So then we have verse number 11. 
Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Now, verse number 11, if not understood in context, could seem somewhat antithetical to this promise of rest and Sabbath, right? It seems almost counterintuitive to say that rest and faith is a gift of God, but yet we're supposed to strive in verse number 11, in this final bookend verb that's being called out here in verse number 11. So the author, understanding that this promise is looking forward to a future reality and a hope that will be realized for all of eternity. The author is also mindful of the the spiritual warfare that, that rages around us. He is aware of the deceitfulness of our own hearts, that wandering heart that Pastor Dave called out. These stark warnings that were given from Psalm 95 and chapter number three of Hebrews. He's aware of the adversary, wary of the the thief that has come to steal, kill, and destroy. So we come to to this this second bookend verb. Verse 1 was, let us fear. And in verse number 11, we have this, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Why? So that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Again, looking back to Psalm 95 and specifically chapter number 3 of Hebrews in our immediate context, we remember these verses to take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another. Do you remember this? But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ. What an incredible hope and reality and promise that is. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So the author is expositing Psalm 95 and establishing what we know today to be known as the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. So chapter 3, we see this phrase, hold our original confidence, how? Firm to the end. Chapter 4, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. This word here used for strive could be translated as to be eager or zealous towards what? Persevering in the faith. You remember those two responses to fear? It was individual and it was corporate. To be eager and zealous towards persevering in the faith individually, but also being mindful of one another so that no one may fall. In our day, and in the context of covenant membership here at Liberty Hills Bible Church, we must be committed to help one another endure in the faith. We are our brother's keeper, and by God's grace, he has chosen to fit the body together with us, with these people right here. This is the body of Christ at Liberty Hills Bible Church. We must be committed to help one another endure. He has chosen to fit this body together with us so that no one of us may fall away. In his sovereignty, friends, God uses the entire congregation with 
are unique and your unique experiences and in gifts to do what? To support the weak. To support the wounded. To support the wandering and the wayward. This is God's plan for the local church. So that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So friends, as we look at this text, Hebrews chapter number 4, and we consider rest for the weary. We're not talking about just relief from circumstances of life. We're talking about rest for our souls. I wonder this morning, do you have rest? Yeah, there may be chaos swirling around you. There may be uncertain circumstances that you're presently attempting by God's grace to navigate through. You may be going through all kinds of different difficulties, physical sickness, loss of job, income, whatever it might be, relationship challenges. But despite all of those things going on, how is your soul? In our American mind, oftentimes we just seek relief from difficulty or tension or conflict. And we don't go deeper to understand and remember eternity. And remember the reality that we will spend eternity somewhere, someday. And God's word offers us rest you remember Jesus' words there in Matthew chapter number 11? Jesus says, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Would you join me in prayer as we close our service this morning? Father God, we thank you for your love towards us, and we thank you for all that you have done for us through Jesus. And Father, I pray that we would experience and know and walk in saving faith. Father, we remember Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, as a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Father, I wonder this morning if there's somebody here that doesn't know you as Lord and personal Savior who has never expressed faith by grace, has never expressed faith in you for their salvation. I pray that we would examine our hearts. I pray that we, this morning, as we come to the Lord's table, that we would consider one another. That we would remember our responsibility not only before you as a holy God, but remember our responsibility that you've given us to one another. To exhort one another. To be engaged in each other's lives. To come alongside and, and to help and encourage and lift up. To speak truth. To courage, admonish. And to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Father God, I pray that we would see those realities among us in our church, in relationship, that we would not just be those that would come and and, and, and listen to a sermon and and be a part of, of worship songs, 
and, and leave and be disconnected and on an island and come back on, on Sunday morning and do it all over again. Father, I pray that we would span Christianity and our engagement in the body of Christ from Monday to Saturday as well. I pray even as we remember you, remember your gift of salvation, I pray that our hearts would be stirred to remember and be grateful for and to consider the rest that you have given us for our souls. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.